Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. What will our property tax bill look like this year? Also, it's still winter. Ticats, busy free agent players. Hamilton's economy is picking up steam. Where is the grocery code of conduct? And the eye-popping Arrive Can Bill. Enjoy the GMH podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Big day at Hamilton City Hall today. Hamilton's budget scheduled to be finalized today. It's a tough budget year. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of pressure that uh, we are feeling as a city, but families are feeling that pressure too. I mean, whether it's inflation, whether it's the cost of labor, the cost of goods. I mean, it's everything is really, really expensive right now. Hamilton Mayor Andrea Horvath in studio with us a couple of weeks ago, shining a spotlight on uh, the many budget pressures here in 2024. Where does the residential property tax rate sit right now? And And here's the question we all want to know is, can council bring it down any lower today? John Paul Denko is the councillor for Ward 8 with the City of Hamilton and joins us on GMHJP. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. All right. Big meeting today. Where is your headspace at? It is a a big meeting today. And, you know, as the mayor said off the top, uh, we, we definitely recognize as a council that it is a really tough time for residents. People are having a real challenge uh, making ends meet, paying their bills, and they've seen a significant increase in everything uh, in terms of cost of living, whether that's groceries or the gas in their car or, you know, the the going out for dinner or or sports and entertainment. Uh, those kinds of things have, have all gone up. And for the city of Hamilton as well, our, our costs have gone up as well. So, um Council has, has really worked hard on this budget to come in with something that I think is responsible, that uh, reflects those difficulties of, of cost of living that residents are facing. Uh, so we've looked everywhere we can for savings. We started at 14.2% uh, with the mayor's directive, looking at reserve funding, debt funding, looking at efficiencies across every single department. Uh, we've got that down substantially. So Right now, uh, we're looking at about a 2.1% increase for uh, core city services, so roads, construction, garbage collection, recreation, parks, uh, services like police, fire, and paramedics. So we think that's a, a pretty responsible rate. It's, it's a little bit lower than inflation. Um, and then on top of that, the, there's two other main budget drivers, and that's the, the housing and homelessness crisis and uh, downloading from the province of Ontario. So when we get our tax bill, what percentage are we going to see? So there's that 2.1% approximately for uh, those core city services. There's an additional 1.6% that is a, a, a unprecedented uh, investment in housing and homelessness services. And then an additional 2.6%, which is uh, provincial downloading, uh, primarily for uh, subsidizing development. So the total right now that we're looking at is probably around 6.3%, and that'll be finalized by council today. There's a number of of additional savings measures that uh, will be considered, uh, but I'm I'm expecting the final will be somewhere around there. So it's not necessarily you go to the meeting today and it's just rubber stamp. There will be a debate in terms of can we get it any lower? Absolutely, and and that's what councillors have been working on really hard since our last meeting in January. There's been a number of discussions with staff uh, ongoing behind the scenes, and I got to say, I'm I'm really impressed by the work that all everyone on council has put in to really understand uh, if there are any other pockets or pools or funding sources or you know any uh, efficiencies, anything else that we can do to bring that down a bit lower. 
So there are four motions on the agenda today that uh, do identify some additional savings in some of our, our housing bylaws. There's one on um, on uh, different types of vehicle types for garbage collection. There's uh, one on so some DC funding things. So there's there's a few things left. Uh, but it's not going to be substantially different from uh, that 6.3% number. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ward 8 Councillor John Paul Danko with the City of Hamilton as we look at uh, Hamilton's budget deliberations. Uh, one more time, is the budget ex- expected to be a pass today? And what we're looking at as of this moment, a 6.3% total tax hike. There is some frustration that, uh, you know, at this time of cost-cutting, uh, city councillors were allowed to add staff to their offices, which comes at a cost. What's your response to that? Well, we asked for an independent consultant to uh, provide us with uh, recommendations for that. So that's not coming from councillors. That's coming from uh, you know, an independent expert that is given their uh, recommendation. Uh, our workload is is fairly substantial, and we try to be as, as efficient as we can be. I, I know in, in my office, we're, we're not going to change how we do things. But I, you know, I respect that there are uh, others that need a little bit more uh, staffing assistance. And really, it's about uh, customer service for residents and making sure that if people have an issue or something that they need addressed, that we're able to address that through our uh, the work that we do as council. So we, we've been tried to be as respectful as we can of, you know, again, of taxpayers knowing how difficult it is to make, men, make ends meet. Um, but that is, uh, again, you know, the consideration that council made. Back to the budget. It started at 14.2. We're down to 6.3. Were you optimistic we could get to this number? I think what we have now is is a very responsible budget for the city of Hamilton. Uh, We are still going to be providing the services that residents rely on. And we're also addressing the needs that, to be honest, the provincial government has really saddled us with. Uh, housing and homelessness is primarily a healthcare issue, which is a provincial issue. It, it's addictions and mental health uh, that we need help with, and we're investing a hundred and a uh, hundred and seventy million dollars this year in housing and homelessness. That's a forty-one million dollar increase from last year, and it's seventy percent funded by city taxpayers. And we're doing that because we have to, because there's a crisis. But we need help from the provincial government. And then the other part of that is provincial downloading. So basically 2.6% of your tax bill is funding uh, development that we're forced to fund through the provincial government. And it's, it's just not sustainable for municipal taxpayers anywhere in Ontario, let alone Hamilton. Last one for you. We've got about a minute. The outlook to 2025, are we expecting some relief or the potential for another healthy tax hike, if I can put it that way? So right now, the multi-year forecast is uh, 7.7% for next year, and then I think it goes down a little bit to under 6% in the following year. So there's still um, a multi-year strategy that still relies on inve- on um, uh, on reserve funding. Uh, but again, we're trying to be as responsible as we can, and we have seen some really good news in Hamilton in terms of assessment growth, growth in the commercial industrial tax base, And the more of those success stories that we see in Hamilton in terms of new construction, new buildings, new residential, uh, that brings the overall tax bill down. So there there is good news on the horizon that I think we're really optimistic for. That's good to hear. JP, best of luck later on today, and we'll talk to you down the road. 
Thanks so much for having me. That is Ward 8 Councillor John Paldenko with the City of Hamilton. You heard it, 2.1% for core services, policing, waste collection, 1.6% for the housing and homelessness initiative, 2.6% provincial downloading. You do the math, add it all up, 6.3% total tax hike for 2024. And, well, as you just heard, some good news, hopefully, in the years ahead. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Yeah, a blast of winter is expected to hit us today as we welcome you back into Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What should we expect today? Well, our next guest says it could be the most significant snowfall of the season. His name is Ross Hall, and he's our global news meteorologist who joins us on GMH. Ross, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I am doing well. I'm excited to be talking about snow, but, uh, <laughs> you know, a little bit of a caveat to that uh, significant uh, part. I, it's just that the fact that we have seen so little snow so far this month, especially, and of course, uh, a lot of the winter has been snow-free as well. So what is the expectation with this storm system? So think of this as a very compact, intense period of winter weather uh, during a month that we've experienced basically none of it. Uh, we're going to start to see that snow travel in likely just afternoon around the Hamilton area, and it will continue likely up until about 4 or 5 o'clock. So you got about uh, 4 or 5 hours of some intense snow. Uh, this could lead to about 2 centimeters an hour in some spots, but because temperatures will be marginal, we're still looking at a daytime high uh, today around freezing to just above. I think there will still likely be some melting with this so not all of the snow is going to stick around and I think for uh, much of the Hamilton area perhaps the mountain will get into some higher amounts could be closer to uh, perhaps five to seven centimeters but I think most areas are going to be in that five centimeter range perhaps even a little less today it's just that that snow will be heavy so uh, and we're also not used to navigating the the white stuff so much uh, this winter so it is something to be aware of if you're going to be on the roads around that time closer you get to the gta understand those uh, accumulations are going to be somewhat higher yeah, around Toronto, if you're traveling along the QEW heading to the to the downtown, it's likely going to be closer to three to six centimeters. I think the lake will have the same influence that it will have around Hamilton, keeping those amounts up. If you plan on traveling farther north, say north of the 401, 407, up towards uh, places like Barrie, up through the Bruce Peninsula, Midwestern Ontario, this is likely closer to an eight to 15 centimeter event. So if you have any cottages you're heading to or planning to do that, likely not a good time to do that this afternoon into early this evening and you know that is some good news though in terms of the snow period uh, just to have some snow uh, for some of those ski resorts and and for people that want to do some winter weather activities I know it's not a whole lot around Hamilton but I think the snow is going to stick around which is uh, which will be nice heading into the uh, family uh, day-long weekend talking about a a winter blast of weather here in uh, mid-February with Ross Hall global news meteorologist and uh, high winds are also going to be a factor especially this evening what are you seeing? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. The winds will be relatively strong out of the southeast as the system moves in, but it's not cold enough, I don't think, to make this snow really fluffy and, and fly around a whole lot, but be prepared for those breezy southeasterly winds. And then I don't think you have to be a meteorologist to know that uh, a northwesterly wind in the wake of this system is a cold wind, and those will be picking up through the overnight into tomorrow morning. So some of that snow will be blowing around even into the morning commute tomorrow. And because Lake Huron and Georgian Bay are 
are still vastly unfrozen. That cold air interacting with the lakes could lead to some uh, lake effect snow squalls tomorrow morning. They'll be localized, but I wouldn't be surprised even if they touch uh, portions of the Hamilton area into tomorrow morning with some heavier bands of flurries. Not going to be significant, I don't think, but enough to perhaps uh, give yourself a bit of extra time even tomorrow morning with those breezy northwest winds. And yeah, it's going to feel colder as well. Our wind chills will be dropping to between minus 10 to minus 15 uh, tomorrow morning. So we're certainly getting a, a bit more of a taste of winter than we've had of late. Yeah, it's certainly going to feel and look like winter for sure. Now, you mentioned this snow is going to be heavy. So is this strictly lake effect or has it picked up moisture along the way wherever it started? Yeah, uh, so it's a clipper system. Uh, we call it a clipper system because it goes at a, at a decent clip and it's a, it's a quick moving system. So it, uh, it, it picks up some moisture from the lakes as it moves towards the lower Great Lakes and it will, again, intensify slightly this afternoon or at least bring us those heavy bursts of snow between noon and likely 4 o'clock for Hamilton. And then after that, it pulls away and in its wake, it draws in some colder air from the north and that's why we get those northwesterly winds and then it's the more of the snow squall situation uh, where we could see some lake effect snow bands reach the Hamilton area uh, but I don't think it's going to be prolonged it'll likely be brief and then into the weekend we start to see the chance of a few more flurries could be a bit more lake enhanced flurries and some light snow temperatures on Saturday are going to be the coldest of the entire weekend we're going to stay well below freezing likely minus three to minus four we'll see some sunshine and then heading into Sunday, the chance of more flurries, but the temperature trend for the second half of the long weekend looks to be temperatures back up above freezing. Don't know if this is in your crystal ball, but can we expect now that we're into February, can we expect a few more of these for the rest of this winter? Yeah, I, I think that we're going to, you know, we were talking about this when we had all that record heat last week. I, I mentioned that we're going to get into more typical February weather. I think overall, towards the end of February, it's certainly not going to be as mild as the first half was, and we can expect more bouts of cold air, and that will likely last into early to mid-March. Uh, not necessarily going to be cold that entire period, but I don't expect it to be quite as mild or quite as quiet when it comes to snowfall and storms as it was for the first uh, first half of February. So, you know, we, we have to know as Canadians that uh, you know, around southern Ontario, the Hamilton area, we can often experience snow up through April. So uh, do be prepared for some wintry weather heading into March. Yeah, for those who are not fans of snow, we have certainly been spoiled this winter. So here it comes. Ross, appreciate the time. Thanks very much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That is Ross Hall, Global News Meteorologist. As you heard, starting in and around 11 or noon, probably wrapping up at around 5 Maybe for the GTA at around 7. Big storm system as well. It's about the size of New York State when you look at the weather radar. Uh, right now with a wind chill minus 9, it is minus 4 going up to a high of 1. So, you know what? As I said, we were, we were spoiled for several weeks this month. Not a lot of snow. We don't have to drive in this stuff. So if you're out, especially later on this afternoon into the evening with those winds picking up, be extra careful on the roads. And keep it right here on 900 CHML as we'll have weather and traffic updates throughout the day every 15 or 30 minutes depending on the time of day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So I was at um, Tim Hortons Field yesterday and the... Uh, Tiger Cats with a uh, news conference to introduce some of their new crop of free agents that they've signed on the first day of free agency and got a chance to chat with Hamilton Tiger Cats general manager Ed Hervey, who appeared yesterday quite confident in his free agency blueprint, the plan that they have in place to re-sign some guys and target players that are out on the open market. And so the hot topic, of course, 
free agent receiver Tim White, and linebacker Simone Lawrence. So here's Andrew Hervey on Simone's future in Hamilton. Simone Lawrence is a very important person in this organization. Obviously, the conversations with him are continuous. And as you know, like he's important to this place. And, you know, with, with respect for moving forward, obviously, there's going to always be an opportunity for Simone Lawrence to be in the, in the organization. So you're saying it's close? I'll leave that to, to, you know, future talks and stuff. But, you know, he's, he's an important person, as we know. Like, he's very, he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. We all love him. We respect him. And I don't think that there's any reason why we shouldn't, you know, embrace, you know, Simone as someone in this organization. Now, I'll say this. In nowhere in that audio clip did Ed Hervey say Simone's coming back to play. And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he didn't say that. And and maybe he didn't say that for a reason, because the expectation is that they want Simone to call it quits and become a team ambassador or maybe join the coaching staff or the front office. I don't know. That wasn't said either. But it is interesting that a lot of the talk was kind of, we'd love him to stay within the organization. It's going to be intriguing to see how this develops, because I know Simone still wants to play. If doesn't get a chance to do it in Hamilton. Is he willing to go somewhere else? Hopefully that doesn't come to that. How about negotiations with Tim White? Tim knows how we feel about him, and we're in constant contact with his camp. I, I don't see any reason why down the line, you know, communication and talks don't go further. But, you know, as it sits right now, like, there's really nothing new to update. It is, it's, it's pretty clear from our end to theirs how we feel about Tim. It would be it would be a shame if it didn't work out. You know, we're we're ready to talk and we're willing to get conversations going whenever they are. See, that seems a little more. Hey, we want him back on the field in comparison to Ed's comments about Simone. Uh, Hervey also said that he's he at least he sounds hopeful that they can re-sign White. I don't think we're in the in the stage of talking about Tim White leaving just yet. I think we're at the point now to where we're just it's more so. Where free agency has just opened. Um, again, I would think that we would have the opportunity, uh, if anything were to come up, to have a chance to speak with Tim and his camp and before anything were to happen. And I feel quite confident that if whatever is placed out there, um, that we'll be more than competitive to be able to, to meet his expectation. So it sounds like if another team is willing to pay upwards of the 300000 that Tim is seeking, that Hamilton will at least consider potentially Matching that. That, too, remains to be seen. Three former Argonauts are now Tiger Cats. Jamal Peters, Dwayne Hendricks, Brandon Barlow. Peters is a DB, Hendricks and Barlow on the D-line. And some big dudes, let me tell you. Peters on why Hamilton was a good fit for him. Just the family-oriented thing that they got going on. Uh, I mean, the physicality, the dog mentality that they play with. I mean, I feel like that, that fit me. And it was just an easy decision for me to come down. You know, and play for the Tigers. That's a major addition to the secondary, which I think all of a sudden is a big strength of this team. Love how the D-line is looking. Love how the secondary is looking. The linebacking core remains a bit of a mystery. Hendricks likes what Hamilton has to offer. Honestly, it was a little tough because it was my first time ever going into free agency. And uh, I didn't really know what to expect, but just talking with my agent and talking with my family, we just felt like Hamilton was home. And defensive lineman Brandon Barlow um, said he scoured a number of landing spots, but the Ticats stood above the crowd. 
I was most focused on finding an organization that was going to be the right fit for me, that was going to help surround me with players who I felt would help me progress not only as an individual, but help a team progress as well. And I felt like Hamilton was an organization that was willing to make those moves. And that's why I felt comfortable signing with Hamilton. Well-spoken guys, guys who have been successful in this league. Barlow had nine sacks last year. He played 14 games, nine sacks. Hendricks had six sacks in 15 games. Peters, four interceptions. I think he played 13 games. And so three guys coming from a winning program in Toronto. They won 16 games last year, and yeah, they fell short in the playoffs, but they've had some success in this league. They're all 26 or 27 in the prime of their career. That is a win-win-win for the Ticats with those three signings. Last but not least, Canadian receiver Luther Hakunavanu arrives from Calgary, and he could not be more excited to be a Tiger Cat. I just felt um, opportunity-wise, this was probably the best for my situation. And then also close to home, um, like I'm living in Toronto and, and uh, have a couple guys and, and friends and family over there. So it's a, a lot uh, easier for them to come to games too. And, and I just thought it was a good fit. And, and I think so too. And I think the when you look at the Ticats, Canadian contingent at the receiver position, you have a Kunavanu who's come in now, Keandre Smith, now I'm going to be entering year three in his development. And we've seen some bright spots, and I think now is the time for him to take that next step and become more of a more of a, an above-average, more-used receiver. And if we can get him in the slot, that might be the key that unlocks his talent level. Tyler Tarnowski's still on the team. He re-signed. The Canadian depth at receivers is pretty good on this team. Now, if you don't have Tim White back, that's a massive hole. Terry Godwin, by default, who re-signed earlier this week, is receiver number one. Boy, you put White in that receiving core with Godwin, with Smith, Akunavanu, uh, it's looking pretty good. Let's not forget Justin McGriff, who had an outstanding rookie camp last year and training camp and then got hurt. Hopefully he's healthy and raring to go and can show what he can do on the field. It's going to be an exciting year, I think, for this Ticats team. Poll question of the day, also Ticats related on X at AM900CHML. How confident are you that the Tiger Cats will re-sign free agent receiver Tim White and linebacker Simone Lawrence? 57% of you are saying you are 50% confident. 21% say 100%, another 21% say not at all. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, let's transition to Hamilton's economy. Economy-wise in this city, things are seemingly looking okay. In fact, the Conference Board of Canada is out with a prediction on Hamilton's economy, and it seems like things are a big fat green check mark, which is what we want to see. Victor Cheechman is an economist with the Conference Board of Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Victor, good morning. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. So where is Hamilton's economy heading here in 2024? Well, before the green check mark part, um, <laughs> it is going through a bit of a slower uh, output growth. Uh, that's what we're seeing in the early parts of of this year and even um, last year as well. Um, in fact, Hamilton's economy started slowing down a bit before other cities, um, but then it will pick up later on in this year, and that's when you'll really see that green check mark. So, why the headwinds later on this year? Um, the earlier on, I should say, the headwinds are, and and that's and that's mostly um, due to 
what you're seeing, honestly, across all of the cities across Canada, it's uh, persistent inflation, high interest rates, slowing demand globally for a lot of goods, and especially Hamilton's manufacturing sector, it's slowing down a bit. And so those headwinds right into 2023 and then the early part of this year are still impacting, you know, a lot of businesses are slowing down hiring, a lot of people are cutting back spending. And then as the year sort of goes on, um, we expect interest rates to start going down as inflation starts to go down a bit. And then that's when all of a sudden you'll see a bit more growth happening this year and really into 2025. Where are the biggest areas of growth? What sectors are going to grow the most in 2024 in this city? Um, 2024, again, is still sort of, I would call it a, a rebound year. Um, but, you know, there are there are some areas, I mean, I would say, the manufacturing sector, well, it's still recovering, um, but, you know, as as the year goes on, you know, it's a major hub in the city manufacturing. Um, demand for goods will rise, whether it's steel, whether it's food manufacturing, that will continue to do well. Um, services, that's another area. While I know they're being hit a bit now, it's a bit of a pullback. Services are still high in demand. Tourism, people still continue to come to the city. And so you see any of these restaurants, hospitality sector will do a bit better. And even a lot of professional scientific technical services, you know, with the shift to digital um, economy, you're seeing these, these, you know, areas doing quite well. Victor Cheechman is an economist with the Conference Board of Canada, sharing its outlook for Hamilton's economy for the rest of this year and in the next year. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Are there sectors that will not grow as much? Well, um, you know, this year what we're seeing is, is construction took a bit of a slowdown, especially last year because of housing. The residential investment slowed, housing affordability went down. And so construction is slowly crawling its, its way back. Um, as well, retail, as I mentioned, you know, wholesale and retail trade. So whether it's people buying goods or businesses selling goods to each other, that's slowing down continues to slow down a little bit in this year. Um, and then even some of these information cultural sectors, that's, that's the name. And so um, areas where people will be spending money, whether it's on goods or services, those areas still are slow this year. Um, but again, we do expect to pick up. In terms of the housing market, uh, you know, all signs are pointing to it heating up again, or some, you know, pundits are saying it's turned the corner. What impact do you think that's going to have on the Bank of Canada's upcoming interest rate decisions? Yeah, I mean, that's that's always quite a tough call. Um, and honestly, I'm not sure <laughs> they know. I mean, they're going by data each month, and they're seeing what it looks like. The one reason that it is starting to pick up again is that we're seeing um, those mortgage rates sort of have peaked, and we don't see it um, increasing any further from here. And so whether, you know, it's starting to go down a little bit, and as soon as it starts going down, uh, the interest rates, you're going to see a lot more activity in the housing market. Some of those first-time home buyers can all of a sudden afford more homes. And so that will really pick up. So it's not necessarily a bad sign if you are seeing um, a pickup in activity. Um, that's, that's, you know, expected, especially when the interest rates cut. However, if it's leading to too strong of price growth, um, and that's percolating throughout the economy. That's what the central bank is looking at, is, is our prices um, 
across numerous products and goods and housing. Is it is it slowly coming down, or is it still continuing to to you know raise and go up? And that's where the Bank of Canada has to decide whether it's to continue its level. We don't see it going up anymore, but continue the rate where it's at, or cut it later on in the spring or summer. And so we see it. There will be an interest rate cut later on in the year, possibly in the, the spring, we were thinking, but this may be delayed more towards the summer. Well, we will certainly be paying attention to that as a lot of uh, individuals were affected by that decision. Victor, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Okay, thanks for having me. Victor Teachman is an economist with the Conference Board of Canada. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Costco says it is open to a grocery code of conduct, but you knew there was going to be a but here. But it says that it must apply to every grocer. And the company also admits that they need more detail on how this code is actually going to work. Here to talk about it is Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, professor of food distribution and policy, and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Sylvain, good morning. How are you? How are you? I am fantastic. Let's get into this grocery code of conduct. What is it and how would it work? What is it? Yeah, a lot of people think it's all about government. It's not really. Uh, What is being proposed is a government-coordinated, industry-led code, which means that we would create, or the industry would create, a secretariat to allow companies to settle disputes. Now, as consumers, we don't necessarily see those, uh, quote-unquote, disputes, but these disputes actually impact um, food prices uh, a lot. Uh, So, for example, uh, there are uh, blackout periods between November and February, and uh, people think, well, if uh, prices freeze for three months, that's good for consumers. Not necessarily, because what happens when there is a price freeze, uh, suppliers will jack up prices before and after. So we're in February right now. Prices are actually going up as a result of the blackout. And the blackout is really, again, grocers imposing their rules on suppliers. Uh, extra fees here and there, out of nowhere. In April, uh, again, Loblaws has sent out letters to suppliers asking them to pay more. Because you see, in the agri-food sector, unlike other sectors, you have to pay your customers in order to do business with them. So the dynamic is completely different uh, compared to other sectors. And, and there's no discipline right now. And the lack of discipline is basically bringing more price volatility to the market, which is penalizing all consumers. So this grocery code of conduct would obviously include the grocers, but the suppliers as well. I mean, these are the two kind of factions that would that whatever would be included in this code of conduct, they would have to uh, deal or implement uh, whatever is agreed to. Exactly, exactly. So this is not about price fixing, by the way. A lot of people think, oh my goodness, this is going to be about suppliers uh, getting whatever they want. That's not exactly it. It's all about contractual terms. I'll give you one concrete example. Just recently, a juice company in Canada was delisted by Loblaws. Now, Loblaws can do whatever it wants. It's a business. But they actually notified the company uh, six weeks ahead. So they were being delisted in six weeks from now. But that company committed to buying a bunch of ingredients to make juice for six months. So guess what's going to happen to that company? That company's going to go under. 
So one less choice for all of us, less competition. And that's why the supply chain bullying that we've seen, mainly from Loblaws and Walmart, to be honest, is really uh, putting impacting competitiveness up the food chain. And again, this is something we don't see as consumers, but it is eliminating options for all of us eventually, which is really reducing competition and pushing prices higher. Interesting. Dr. Sylvain Chalabaugh is our guest, the food professor, professor of food distribution and policy, and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. We're talking about this grocery code of conduct in which Costco says, yeah, it's open to joining, but all, all must do so as well. And and to that point, this would only work if everyone agrees, right? We can't have one or two grocers or suppliers saying, all right, we'll do this. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I said to MPs last week in Ottawa. I was testifying uh, before the Parliamentary Committee in Agriculture and uh, about uh, price stability. And uh, I, did, I did recommend the committee to make this code mandatory. Now, Costco's position is not new. Uh, most people in the industry knew that Costco was supportive of the concept of the code of conduct. So uh, as an American player, uh, they're willing to play along. The big problem is both Walmart and Loblaws. Uh, both, both companies are on record uh, saying that they're against it. And they're saying they're against it because it would drive up costs. Is that true? No, for like what, what Gail Weston claimed in December uh, before the same committee I testified last week was that uh, the code of conduct would cost an extra billion dollars to consumers, which is actually not true. Uh, he actually basically conveyed to the committee the example of Australia saying that suppliers would basically get the price they want. That's not that's not accurate at all, because the code in Australia would be the same as ours. It has nothing to do with pricing. It has everything to do with creating a level playing field and fairness for all parties involved in the industry. So, And Galen Weston actually did issue an apology on December 24th, actually, just before the holidays. <laughs> Nobody noticed, but I did notice, and uh, so they retracted. They basically said, well, that's not exactly uh, what we meant. So I was glad that they actually rectified their position, but they're still against the code. Can't the government just say, this is the code and you all have to deal with it? Well, yes, but uh, this issue actually involves provinces as well. That's the trick, right? Mm -hmm. So as a federal government, and you, you, you want to provide some leadership with tone, but you also need the support of all 10 provinces in order for the code to work. And uh, so the feds, have one role to play, but provinces also have another role to play. Like in Ontario, for example, you would want the Doug, for, uh, Doug government to really endorse the code as well. And food manufacturing is, is the largest manufacturing sector in Ontario, by the way. Now, a lot of people forget about that, but it's actually larger, depending on the cycle, but sometimes larger than the car industry. So it's a really big industry in Ontario, and, and all of these manufacturing companies rely on fairness in order to make a living. Got about 45 seconds. We've seen inflation come down a bit. Does that mean food prices are going to drop a little bit in the not-too-distant future? Well, we got some good news out of the U.S. this week. The CPI came out, and food inflation is down to 2.6% uh, in the U.S. Uh, it's lowest level in three years, and we typically follow the U.S. So we're fairly confident with our forecasts in December 
when we forecasted that food prices would go up between 2.5 to 4.5 percent. We're going to go back to that sweet spot of 2.5 percent. And based on what we're seeing, we're still uh, on par to, to reach that goal. All right. That's a bit of good news on a Thursday morning. Dr. Charlebois, thanks for your time this morning. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, professor of food distribution and policy at Dalhousie University. And according to an annual report on the food industry by researchers at four Canadian universities, Canadian families are going to be paying nearly $1,800 more on average for groceries this year than they did just two years ago. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Do you remember the ArriveCan app? Oh, that doozy. That doozy of an app. You recall that the Trudeau government launched this thing in April of 2020 to track health and contact information for people entering Canada. But it was brutal. Long wait times at airports. Flooded with technical glitches. Forced thousands of people to quarantine by mistake. And so earlier this week, Auditor General Karen Hogan called it one of the worst financial record-keeping she's ever seen, slamming the program for its glaring disregard for basic management and contracting practices. This would probably be the, the first example that I've seen where there is such a glaring disregard for some of the most basic and fundamental policies and rules and controls. Yeah, not good. Hogan estimates that the app cost taxpayers nearly $60 million dollars but says the project was so poorly managed that it's impossible to know the actual final amount. That is scary. That's our money. That's our tax dollars at play. So now, unsurprisingly, Conservative leader Peter Poliev is saying, Hey, RCMP, can you please investigate the Arrive Can debacle? Daniel Perry is a senior consultant in public affairs at Hill and Knowlton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Daniel, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. I hope you're also doing good. Not too bad, not too bad. Is this worthy of an RCMP investigation? Uh, that's going to be for political theater to decide. Uh, <laughs> I definitely would say it doesn't pass the sniff test. Um, I think Canadians, when they see that number of how much it may or may not have cost, because there's no real uh, accounting to share, uh, will be frustrated by it. I, I say good form on Pierre Poilievre's part. I mean, he his job is to point out some of the deficiencies or irregularities that the government makes. This clearly falls into that category. No, it absolutely does. And this kind of goes into his larger narrative around the government unable to deliver for Canadians, unable to provide the basic services. They can't even get an app right. How can they run this country? And it ties into that narrative perfectly and it's something that his supporters love hearing and it really riles the base up and they make noise about it and that makes him look even better I haven't heard any other the opposition leaders and they may have i just haven't heard it jump onto this as well it seems to be a hot button topic that affected millions of people millions of people and it impacted canada's reputation internationally in some cases people were saying it's easier to go to europe than it is to enter canada um, I love Canada, but I would also love to go to Europe too. So I, I think there are some reputational challenges that come out of this as well. And I think this is going to be a story we'll be talking about for a while. And depending when an election is, it might be something that sticks around till then as also. We heard from the government and their basic response was, you know, in hindsight, we could have done better. That's simply not good enough. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely fair. During the pandemic, especially the early days, it, it was madness. 
Um, and that happens in the government when you want something done fast, it costs a lot. It's very much like going to a corner store to buy a bag of milk instead of the grocery store. But what happened in this case, it seems, is that the cost was a little bit higher than I think anyone would have liked to see. And I think if you're a civil servant, if you're in a political officer, just anyone, how much this escalated, there should have been a lot of red lights and flags being thrown on the play. Absolutely. Daniel Perry is a senior consultant. Hill and Knowlton will talking about the ArriveCan debacle, which, as we learned earlier this week, cost taxpayers nearly $60 million, and maybe even more than that. It was so poorly managed that the Auditor General uh, really threw her hands up to say, uh, I'm not sure how much more it cost us, but it certainly cost us a lot. Now, Pierre Poilier was saying, you know, there's some corruption at play, and that's obviously for the RCMP to look into. Did this just go down simply as mismanagement? Uh, I think by the lack of records, it's hard to actually say what it is. Even the Auditor General struggled to come up with a reason for it. Um, so I think if the RCMP is to investigate, they might also have similar challenges that the Auditor General had in terms of not being able to get information because it appears that it's not there anymore. How long does Paulie have, you know, um, uh, I guess, keep his latch on this bone? Mm -hmm. As long as there's still traction on it. Uh, like in any political theater, uh, a crisis is always good until people stop caring about it or something else comes up. Um, so I would say he has at least a couple more weeks out of this. But depending how the story tracks, he might be able to get a couple months out of it. Yeah, I, I think it'll also depend on what the RCMP decides mm -hmm. too, right? If they say, no, there's nothing to see here, then it might be a moot point at that point. And then, yeah, we kind of move on to the next challenge the government faces. And like in any government, there'll be another challenge to come up that has issues. So I, I, you, that's a really good point. The ball is definitely in the RCMP's court. In Very much sense. so. Daniel, thank you as always for the time. Enjoy the day. Thank you. You too. Daniel Perry is a senior consultant at Hill and Knowlton. The, um, here's, here's another factoid that is going to make your blood boil. The Auditor General estimated the average per diem for an ArriveCan external contractor, and apparently there were six other companies that were subcontracted to build and I guess develop and implement ArriveCan. And the the average per diem for an ArriveCan external contractor was $1,090, nearly double what a Government of Canada employee would receive. That is massive. Uh, yeah, debacle is the right word for sure. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.